Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 601. You know, it really all boils down to, I think, when I had that aha moment was when we figured out it really was all about grip, not slip. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Dane Pitteresi. Dane, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Well, let me tug, make one last tug on the belt and I'll be ready to go. There you go. Good idea. Dane Pitteresi owns and operates Skid Car Systems in Las Vegas, Nevada. Since 1990, his focus has been on the delivery and instructions for the use of his system and it's about the grip and not slip philosophy of driver education. For Dane, it's all about the cognitive, perceptual motor skills needed for the improvement of vehicle training from beginners to professionals. His company's delivered more than 300 skid car and skid truck systems in North America alone. Next up, the skid bike and the ATSS light system. Can't wait to hear about that. Dane started racing in 1971, and for 26 years, he's been the voice of experience in professional racing at his home track at Portland International Raceway, a track I've spent many laps on. Love that place. So, Dane, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, it really, you know, like most gearheads, you know, we start off pretty young in life uh, with anything with wheels. You know, it all started off on skateboards, and then I raced bicycles for a while. Then I, I tried to get into music. I wanted to be a rock star, but I just couldn't. I just wasn't there. I, I just didn't have it in my hands to, to be a musician. So uh, I kind of followed my brother's lead. Uh, both of them were, were car guys. Uh, they, they loved Cobras, and uh, one of my brothers drag raced a, a 66 Nova, and the other had a, a 56 Chev uh, Impala convertible. And, and, you know, I admired my brothers so much and got into the cars through them. And then, uh, not probably while I was in high school, my passion uh, started with a motorcycle. Uh, my first, my first vehicle was a motorcycle, cool. and uh, my dad tried to get me out of the bike thing, and 
He came home with a 1958 Land Rover, which was my first car. Nice. And we just drove the heck out of that thing. And after the Land Rover came came a uh, a dream car of mine, a Mini Cooper. Nice. And and then it all just kind of went uh, went uphill from there. <laughs> Up there, well. Dane, compared to, at least from what I understand of what you do, you are a rock star out there. Um, you know, you've been the voice at Portland for so long, and what you're doing to help people learn to be safer on the road is rock star quality in my mind. So we're going to learn a lot more about you and what you're doing with the skid systems and some of your past. But first, as we continue on this journey of your life, I always like to start with a success quote, some kind of mantra saying that's Very important to you. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Dane, take the wheel. You know, it really all boils down to, I think, when I had that aha moment was when we figured out it really was all about grip, not slip. I I grew up sliding cars around. I I was kind of pretty good at it. I'm a little disappointed that that, uh, drifting wasn't as popular back then in the in the late 60s and early 70s than it as it is today because yeah. I'd be all about that in a second <laughs> uh, luckily enough I get to slide and and drift and and uh, do that kind of driving on the journey toward showing people how not to do that you know the it's about grip not slip came uh, to us as a solution for people overdriving cars. They were getting into trouble by sliding too much. Mm. In the racing business, if you slide too much, you slow down. Yep. I think probably uh, somewhere someone told me that, you know, speed is just a byproduct of being technically correct with the contact patches and not being lazy. <laughs> and, and so so speed uh, became kind of a different goal. So driving correctly and driving technically correct was uh, was a major hurdle to get over. Tell our listeners just a little bit about this skid system that you have, what it is, how it works, how it benefits people in teaching them to be better at controlling their vehicle in adverse situations. Well, this goes back again to the late 80s. Uh, a good friend of mine back then who helped us promote the, the racing school at PIR, which I started in 87, uh, Satch Carlson, you know, he... Uh, we kind of promoted the whole idea of the science behind controlled driving. And what we do with the skid car is, and the skid bike as well, is that we have the ability to adjust the coefficient of friction on the front or rear axles of the vehicle. Cool. So we can adjust the personality of the car. We can adjust the grip of the car to duplicate conditions that are realistic for any type of automobile, whether it be a a Ford Crown Vic with 600 pounds of gear in the back or a 750 horsepower sprint car. Nice. You know, I love the whole concept of this. And of course, Satch Carlson, that's the same Satch Carlson who's the editor-in-chief at Roundell BMW Club Magazine, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, he spent a lot of time sliding cars living up in Alaska. <laughs> so uh, he's very well versed in that and certainly quite a character and a past guest here on Cars Yeah. So you guys are Cars Yeah alumni now, which is very cool. And he's quite a character as well. So, uh, well, it's very interesting. It's wonderful. I love what you're doing and anything to help people be safer out there on the roads, especially our young drivers so they understand the dynamics of cars is, is so, so important. Let's go back in time. You talked a little bit about what instigated your passion for cars way back then. You loved bikes, started with skateboards. Sounds like we have a lot in common. I was a skateboarder in Southern California, bicycle, motocross, all that kind of thing. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized that you were a car guy? 
the second time I cracked my sternum on the handlebars oh. of a motocross bike. Ouch. You've been there, done that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, that firmly got me off of off-road motorcycles and got me into cars. I thought, <laughs> you know what? I don't have enough self-control on a motorcycle to keep myself from getting hurt. So, you know, it kind of drove me toward cars. What came out of it was, you know, the whole Mini Cooper experience. We, uh, I grew up with, with a group of guys in Portland, Oregon, that, you know, in the late 60s and early 70s, we street raced. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd, we'd take the Mini Cooper bus down on Broadway in Portland, and we'd find ourselves a, a, you know, a, a Barracuda or a GT350, and we'd say, hey, come on, let's, let's see if we can, we can make a go of this and, and go up, uh, you know, around the hills of southwest Portland and learn how to drive that way. The problem was, is that we hurt and killed a lot of friends doing that. And uh, that's when we kind of got smart and we grew up a little bit and and took it to the racetrack. Yeah, you know, and that's what's great about so many cities in the U.S. nowadays is there are racetracks for kids, young people, and old folks like me to go and drag race in a safe environment or go to a racing school, learn how to drive a road course in a safe environment or take your car in a club event and drive in a safe environment. So, yeah, all those young listeners out there, no more street racing. Please, please, please don't, don't do it. Now, what's really interesting about that is, Mark, is that the cars go so fast today. Mm, yes. Uh, it's just unreasonable to use some of these new vehicles at their limit anywhere on a roadway. You know, back in the days of the Mini Coopers and Shelby GT350s, we could just drive the heck out of those things, and they wouldn't go very fast. Mm. You know, they, their performance potential was very limited. Today, it's completely different, and it's just trying to go fast in today's cars on today's streets with the kind of congestion we have it's just not relative to what we used to do no and cars insulate us so much from what's really going on outside nowadays as well i mean you you drive in a car it's so quiet and smooth and you look down and go holy cow how did i get going that fast yeah dangerous to do so nicely put i'm glad you added that so, Dane, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood, get our fingernails a little dirty here, and ask you to share a huge challenge or even better, a great failure that you faced in your career. Take us to that painful time, but the most important part of this is how did you overcome that and what did it teach you so that you could move forward? That's really a good question because I've had so many mentors over the years that have moved my career in motorsports and, and business along. I guess I, I really have to give credit to Dale Follett for for a number of different things. Mm -hmm. He uh, uh, now Dale Follett was the past manager for for what almost two decades at Portland International Raceway. Plus, he's a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's just he's just a wealth of knowledge, and he really mentored me in a couple of different ways. One was to get. The racing school started at PIR. In 1986, I think it was, I came to him after I was in England and I took my first driving school in, in the early 70s mm -hmm. and started racing at PIR in, in 71 and 72. And uh, uh, Dale came to me. He knew that I wanted to start a school. And this was uh, in, in the late 80s. And he said, look, 
if you don't start the school, then one of the big guys are going to come in because they're knocking on my door. Skip Barber and Bob Bondurant and and uh, a, a few more were were really keen on getting started at PIR. So Dale said, hey, if you don't do it now, it's going to go to someone else. So that really pushed me to the edge of running. Uh, I bought my father's dry cleaners with a sole intention of being able to build a business up and selling it and be able to start a racing school. Well, life wouldn't wait for that. So (laughs) I had to kind of run them both at the same time and get the racing school started. That taught me a great deal. Uh, We put together deals with Toyota and Takiko Shock, Yokohama Tire. uh, They were the the three major ones involved, Mm -hmm. Valvoline Oil. So, So we put all those packages together and started the racing school at, at PIR, which was just a major turnaround for almost everything I did. It got me into to better race cars. It got me into doing something that, that back in the 70s when I took my first driving school at Thruxton, England, I learned so much in such a short period of time that just pushed the button, and that's what I wanted to do. So that's kind of how I got into this whole driver training career. Sure. Uh, and uh, Dale's push was just a huge part of that. Well, and Dale's daughter, uh, Sarah Royster, has been a guest here on Cars yeah, as well, interestingly enough. Most definitely. And Dale was, Dale's story was so interesting as well. So the tie-in with you two was kind of cool. Very nice. How about shifting gears and going to the other end of the spectrum? I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way for a, a new course down the track. Tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, it really started when we realized my partners uh, back in with the racing school and when we got involved with the skid car. Once we got the skid car and used it for a couple of months, we realized that, wow, this, this is too good for racers. We need to be able to get the public involved with learning how to technically drive a car well. So we spent an enormous sum of money marketing uh, our class and and the equipment, the skid car equipment, to the public. And where our aha moment came from was, is that we realized that the, the public thought this way, is that everybody needs driver training but me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Ready getting it. And, oh, by the way, it should be free. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so that was a that was a huge uh, realization that you know this may not work, mm-hmm. not work with the public. And during that time, one of the components of driver training and and traffic safety, which were were law enforcement, uh, they had a component for driver training that they were mandated that they must do. And part of that component was the old skid control techniques. Mm-hmm. And so that's. They drug us kicking and screaming into the law enforcement world, and and that's where 99% of our business is today. There you go. And interesting in business how you have one focus down a course, and it turns out there's a little side road over here that ends up being much more productive or lucrative in any way that uh, at first you didn't even see. Uh, but actually exists. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many. You've had a long, illustrative career, but is there one moment that stands out for you you'd share with us? Oh man, that's that's so hard to do. I think uh, uh, there's so many different components between you know the radio and the PA work and the business work, and and uh, most likely it's it's part of of the business that 
that put us making drivers safer, mm-hmm. uh, training drivers to be safer drivers. I, I guess the the proudest moments I've had is, is when someone from maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years ago uh, gets a hold of us and said, you saved our lives. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. De- most definitely. I mean, there's probably well, no doubt so many lives that you've saved or impacted from injury that you don't even know about. Well, we hope so. We hope so. And that's what that's what people tell us is that we've worked with, you know, governments around the world. We're, we're uh, very well connected with uh, what goes on in Sweden, which is one usually historically they're about the third between one and three, the first top three safest places in the world to drive. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and so skid cars are made in Sweden. They're made on a, a a small island of Gotland off the southeast coast of Sweden. Mm-hmm. And we've been going there since the early 90s. And uh, both of our driving cultures have, have, of course, grown since then. But they've really gotten very serious about, you know, a, a, a zero fatality rate on their highways. Uh-huh. And they're extremely serious about it. And, and, and they've gotten much, much further and much more sophisticated with how they train than we have. Yeah. Well, when I think back to when I was in high school in the 70s, one week of driver training with the football coach sitting in the front barking instructions and the two other kids in the back, and then you went and got your license. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't happen that way. You know, everything is so expensive in Europe anyway, but to get a driver's license in Sweden is somewhere between $2,500 and $3,000. Wow. And, And that's a huge commitment for someone to take, but that's why they... They are one of the safest, yeah, absolutely. Three safest countries in the world to drive. Well, I know I uh, required both of my kids when they were learning to go through driving school at Pacific Raceway here uh, with a teen driving program, and they both told me to this day that that has saved them so many times, just so many times. So I'm I'm so happy I did that. I, I wish more people would. Definitely with all the distractions that are out there for young drivers and old drivers, get off your phones. There's the request right there out there. So very cool. Well, let's have a little bit of fun. You share a little bit about some past vehicles, but I'd love for you to share your first really special car and maybe a memory you have with that vehicle. Oh, it would, it would, it would have to be the Mini Cooper S. Uh, <laughs> I kind of thought you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, you know, the Land Rover was really fun, and I wish I had both those cars back. Yeah. You know, that would be really great. But uh, the the Mini Cooper was was quick, and it was a dream car of mine. You know, a lot of kids my age they wanted a 427 Chevelle or a you know a 396 Camaro or you know a Cobra or something like that. I wanted a Mini Cooper S, <laughs> and that was my dream. And and another Northwest guy, he still races today. Ward Barber, you know, oh, yeah. I got in touch with him, and and he built a motor for it, and and so that really started my love affair with racing, and and uh, racing the Mini was just was was great fun, great fun. What year was that Mini Cooper? That was a 1967 Six, Mini ooh, Cooper. Okay. S. It was yeah. a late model, yeah. Well, the race car itself, the the street car that I had was a 67. I do believe that the race car ward stuck me in was a 64 or 5. Oh, okay. Even earlier. You know, Uh, my first experience in one of those, I had a college roommate whose good friend had one. I was living in uh, Pacific Beach, California at the time, attending college. And he came by one day and I said, well, this is pretty cool. And he said, I'll give you a ride. And he drove me up to the top of Mount Soledad, anybody who knows San Diego, La Jolla knows the roadway up there and back down is quite windy and curvy. 
And oh my <laughs> gosh, I thought I was going to die. I, I couldn't believe how that thing went around uh, corners. I had Yeah, a- <laughs> they were amazing. You know, back in the day, they were the giant killer. Yeah. You know, because in road racing, they were in the same race group as the A sedans and B sedans. And uh, the, the Mini Cooper S being an old C sedan. They were they were just giant killers, you know, on small tracks like Shelton and and uh, well, you know, with with the the Mini Cooper S's, the the first love with them was they were they were affectionately known as the giant killers. Yeah. And at uh, PIR, not so much because it was kind of wide open, but in some of the tighter tracks like Mission, like Shelton, Westwood, and and particularly Westwood yeah. up in up in Coquitlam, BC. Man, the the minis just just killed the bigger cars up there so that was really fun because you know the car was light it, it had gosh maybe 105 110 if you were really built well 120 horsepower mm-hmm. and they were just brilliant little cars yeah it was so much fun my roommate's friend i said you should name this car the dragonfly because it moves like a dragonfly just you know and it made sense well how about cars that you let go but you wish you had back. You mentioned you wish you had the Range Rover and the Mini back, but is there one car in particular you've owned that you'd like to see back in your garage? Yeah, probably the one the one car that I really am sorry I let go was a 1972 Porsche 911E that was uh, built into a uh, RS replica. Ooh, nice. And it was car. done really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Park Duff in Portland built it, and he really spent a lot of money on it. And that is one car today that I would really like back because it's, uh, unlike the Porsche that I have now, it, it was just totally analog. Mm-hmm. There was nothing servoed. Everything was just the way it used to be in cars. Yeah. Uh, there were no assists. There was nothing, no ABS, no electronic stability control. It was just a very pure, very lightweight, kind of medium horsepower. I think the horsepower is around 240 or something. Huh, not bad. Well, it, you know, 22, 2300 pounds. It's, yeah. It was very, very uh, light. So yeah, it, it was a nicely balanced car. At the race school we used to take people for rides in it and that's mm-hmm. kind of why I, I got it in the first place is mm-hmm. that uh, people like to kind of go sideways and they like to have a little little uh, a good fast ride that, that got their adrenaline going and <laughs> that car was perfect for that well we share something else here Dan I had a 72s that is the one I wish I had back in my garage and uh, so I feel your pain yeah great little cars fun cars on the track the street wherever you drive them you just get into a different mindset when you get into a car like that versus newer Porsches even I have an 87 930 turbo which is another leap ahead of that s but it's kind of a different kind of car to drive kind of a point and shoot car because of that turbo lag issue that uh, plagues those things but uh, oh but isn't it great you know that's that's one of the things that today I think that so many of us miss is that even though we get a little older and and we get a little softer the cars today just aren't as engaging right. as they used to be yep. one of my favorite cars of all time is a is a uh, Ferrari 512 boxer a carbureted boxer mm. and uh, the the car was just so hard to drive and you really had to be engaged you really had to oh, yeah. give it a hundred percent of your attention <laughs> and the harder you drove it the better it liked it it yeah. was uh, it was an incredible vehicle today 
you know, you get into some of these GT3 cars and, and all uh, the Modena Challenge cars, and they work so good that you have to have some talent to drive them, but not the kind of talent and sophistication and motor skill that you used to have. Exactly. It was a very cerebral and physical effort at the same time. Absolutely. Point and squirt. Well, let's talk about today and looking ahead in the future. I'd love to hear what has you really excited and fired up. And I'd like to hear a little bit about this next generation, the skid bike and the ATSS light system. Sounds very interesting. Well, the skid bike is just a continuation of the skid car is that we can adjust the coefficient of friction the motorcycle has with the ground so that riders can learn and practice uh, techniques that wind up saving their lives. Mm. Uh, you know, the tagline with a skid bike is the crash without the rash. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you can literally crash this bike without hitting the ground. Nice. You can low side it. You can high side it. And as long as you hang on, yeah. you're you're good to go. And so you get to literally learn by mistake. Uh, I think in in so many of our components today, with learning on the computer and doing all the games and and learning all these uh, learning on motorcycles and cars that have so much technology on them, is that we really don't know what can hurt us. Mm-hmm. And so when these vehicles take away the ability for us to figure out when we could be approaching trouble, so we can stay away from it, these systems are pretty invisible and allow us to cross over the edge. So. Being able to show a rider what can kill them is very, very important to us. Oh, gosh, yes. Bikes, definitely. You know, the first time I took my E46 M3 onto the track and turned off the traction control button, I was shocked at how different that car was to go around a corner in. I mean, it was really amazing to me how much the car was doing with the button on versus the button off and uh, how quickly you could swap ends with that thing. Well, and today, most of what we do in skid car and in skid bike is going to get there as well. But with skid car, we are showing law enforcement officers and, and, and really anyone who will listen how these electronic control systems work, mm-hmm. how to be able to drive in them instead of against them, and, and how to be able to literally, instead of learn how to control what the car is doing, it's more interfacing with the car's technologies to get you where you need to go. Very cool. Now, the ATSS light system, what is that? The ATSS light system is an automatic traffic scenario system. Okay. It's uh, a light system that's totally portable, totally automatic once you program what you want into it. And it's uh, an incredible step for bringing driver training that goes on in a parking lot or in a closed course give it some new uh, relevancy to causing a driver to think. Mm. Now, what we do with this is it has three different modes to it. It has a an accident avoidance mode, which we're pretty used to. Most driver training use the, you know, the lane change mm-hmm. uh, uh, mode. But this one is the first equipment on the market that has an intersection clearing mode so that when you take a lap in a skid car and of course it's very very loose and you're under the watch so so you're you're uh, pressed to push it a little bit you've got to come to a complete stop you've got to turn your head left you have to turn your head right and the lights are random and you have to look in front of yourself as well mm-hmm. There's three lights you have to clear. The lights are random. We can set them anywhere between a five-second maximum delay time to 15 seconds. Uh, That's no guarantee that 
that you may come up to the intersection and it may all be green. Yeah. So it's really fantastic the amount of thought process we can build into a driver to be able to not only control a car, but be able to think on top of that as well. Very nice. Great, great work you're doing. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Dane. If you were a car, what kind of car would Dane be and why? <laughs> oh, I think I'd have to go back if I was a car. I'd probably be that that uh, old school 512 Berlinetta Boxer. Ooh, nice, nice. And why is that? It's um, it's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is. Uh, it's, it's not exactly easy to get along with, <laughs> but if... Uh, uh, you coax it in the right direction, you can get it to do some pretty amazing things. There you go. That's why I like that question, because it always brings some very interesting answers, for sure. So, Dane, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253 253- 722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah! And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at com. Okay, Dane, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You know what that means? You're a racer. The white flag's out. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Think more and do less. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. 
That, that works in all aspects of life, I think. <laughs> Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Believe in what you see and look into your future. Mm, I like that one too, especially the reference to looking into your future along with driver's training. We talked about that in our pre-chat of heads up, looking down the road, seeing what's coming. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of great resources out there, but is there one in particular you'd like to share with the Cars yeah audience? You know, my whole background is in training, and and that's where where I get my motivation from. And uh, probably the latest the the latest book that I've read that was just extremely interesting and and really explained a lot of the reasons that what we do in the, in the driver and rider training business are fruitful and and uh, kind of move everything forward. But it's a book called The Eureka Factor, mm. and and it's the aha moments of creative insight uh, and how the brain works in 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 giving you that insight that we all need to be to be safe drivers or fast drivers, the same thing. That was just a, a great book. And, and I think anyone who is interested in, in racing, in driving, in training, and getting along on, on personal levels, the, the Eureka Factor is just a marvelous book. Cool. The Eureka Factor by John Cuneos and Mark Abeman. Right. I, I heard I heard an interview with these guys uh, on uh, National Public Radio on my way to this meeting, and it was absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and once I read the book, it was it was even better. Awesome. Great book. Great reference. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Dane has been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Dane Pitteresi. And his name is spelled D-A-N-E, and the last name is P-I-T, just like pit stop. A-R-R-E-S-I. And there's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book and the past 600 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, Dane, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, toy car, collector, vintage race car, whatever you like in your garage, and money is no object today because I'm footing the bill, what would that vehicle be? And more importantly... Why? Well, I'd have to go back to that 512 boxer again. <laughs> nice. And it's and it's the emotion, I think the emotion that that car brings anything that is analog, you know, I was fortunate enough to to drive some some incredibly great cars over the years through uh through the racing school at PIR we uh-huh. owned. And that car just really brings back all those great memories of being now maybe not so fast. Uh-huh. but just very, very difficult and challenging to drive. What a special car when that came out. There was just uh, a lot of things about that car that were just different, unique, and fun. Wow, you chose a nice one. You chose an expensive one, too. That's going to cost me a little bit, I think, but uh, that's okay. It is. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and, and I have to add one other thing, too, is that you know, part of, the, part of the, the reason that I think we've been successful at what we're doing is, is my wife, Lisa, has been behind this all the way. My partner in in skid car system, yes, and uh, I, I can't let things uh, go away too soon without giving her a, a tremendous amount of credit for for what we do here. Behind every great man is an even greater woman. I'm a firm believer in that. So kudos, shout out to Lisa for all your help uh, out there in getting this whole system out there and and making sure that drivers out there are safer and save lives. Really great thing that you both are doing. Dane, you've taken me on an awesome ride around the track today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. 
Would you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off down the track in that 512 boxer? Yeah, be conscious of of how technical it is to drive a car. You know, it it takes a lot of thought process. It doesn't take so much physical skill anymore, but but keep your mind on what you're doing and and maybe the nose out of the cell phone. Uh yeah, definitely turn the phone off or put it away. <laughs> Just don't look at it. That's for sure. That's a really nice way to think of it. Be thoughtful of the technical aspects of a car because boy, there's a lot of stuff going on there. That's for sure. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? You know, we've got two websites that we uh, try to keep up to snuff with, and one is skidcar.com, and the other is skidbike.com. Uh, we have Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're, uh, we tweet every once in a while, but sometimes my tweeter gets broken. <laughs> so uh, there's all kinds of ways to stay in touch with, with what we do here at Skidcar. Very good. I'll send you a Band-Aid for that tweeter. And listeners, you can find links to everything Dana shared again on his own show notes page. I'll make sure. I put links to everything up there so you can check out what he's doing. Look into this. So valuable. Uh, you could help save lives, help save your own life to send your kids to these classes uh, around the country, places that use these skid car devices. Um, absolutely. Dane, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing all of your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.